really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome once again to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more, all about the world of rugby. I am your host, David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it, all over the globe. If you would like to get in touch, well, you know what? I would love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. And, you know, if you feel like it, just Drop me an old-fashioned email, scrumoftheearth at gmail.com. So, it was back to the two-headed European, non-European cups this weekend, so why don't we just dive right in? So, starting, as always, with our current updates, and, you know, there's one pretty obvious current update for me. Sunday, yesterday, was my birthday. So, we actually made it sort of like birthday weekend, which on practical terms just meant that I was allowed to watch an unlimited amount of rugby. Uh, we had my uh, parents come over on Saturday for sort of a mini celebration with my son being thoroughly annoyed there were presents, but not for him. Uh, getting his own cupcake later on, that, that went a, a long way towards placating him, of course. On the actual day itself, my BFF came over and watched some rugby with me in the morning. I made us all an epic brunch, including brioche French toast with, a, with you know macerated blueberries and a drizzle of salted caramel. I know, sounds odd, but it was freaking phenomenal. Uh, then we all later went out for sushi. Um, there was a sushi and hibachi place we'd never been to, and we got to watch the first uh, the NFL playoff game, the early one on Sunday, the Bills, the Bengals. I'm pretty sure that was actually the first full NFL game I've watched this season, but it was really good. Um, naturally, I got a bunch of presents, mostly guitar stuff, which was great. It was just a smashing weekend all around. Great to see some friends I hadn't seen in a while as well. So... Thanks to everyone who came out. Great times. Well, Isa, whether or not this is good news, I guess that very much depends on who you ask. Quoting here from the BBC website, quote, Rugby chiefs are to introduce a reduction in tackle height from July 1st, 2023 in the community game. Players will only be allowed to tackle from waist height down, says the Rugby Football Union Council. It has been uh, introduced to improve player safety. Quote, evidence from our own research and from around the world clearly shows that lowering the tackle height will reduce head impact exposure, unquote, said RFU President Nigel Gillingham. By the way, if I was like, oh, yeah, the head of the RFU is named Nigel Gillingham, you'd all be like, shut up. So, uh, quote, it will also reduce the risk of concussion, unquote. The community game covers clubs, schools, colleges, and universities, and the change will impact age grade and adult levels from National 1 and below in the men's game and Championship 1 and below in the women's game. Quote, programs to support players, coaches, and match, match officials, including detailed law application guidelines, are being developed to ensure players, match officials, and volunteers will be ready for next season, unquote, said the RFU. The issue of head injury and concussion has been a discussion point in both the amateur and elite games. The RFU added it will continue to work to reduce head impacts and contact training in the community and elite games, and they'll be supportive of any law changes proposed by World Rugby in matches at the elite level that will further reduce head impact exposure, unquote. So there's already been a, a ton of, you know, the sort of, this is the beginning of the end posts and articles along those same lines, but... I'm just going to I'm going to choose to wait and see where this all goes. It, it seems like a pretty big change, that's for sure, but it also feels like nothing in this sport is forever. 
So, I mean, I don't think anyone actually knows how this is going to unfold. Either way, you know I'll be watching. So that, of course, brings us to our thoughts of the week. And my thoughts this week are actually back on Eddie Jones and the whole saga we've seen unfold. So all last week, people were hammering the RFU for not including a non-compete clause in their agreement with Eddie Jones as he departed, um, basically because they would now potentially be staring down the barrel of a Jones-coached Tier 1 nation in the World Cup. I just don't see it that way. Hear me out. They made the decision that he had taken them as far as he could. They decided he was not the best person for the job. They decided Steve Borthwick would be better at it. So why on earth would they be worried about him going someplace else? If they thought he was the world's greatest coach, they could and would have just kept him. So why fret or spend even more money to attempt to stop him from going elsewhere? Why should they be scared of a coach that they don't rate that highly going to a team that's already ranked lower than England in the first place? They already paid him, you know, God knows how much to buy out his contract, paid off the Leicester Tigers for letting Borthwick go, and, of course, have to pay Borthwick. Why would they then pay even more money as, like, an insurance policy against a coach they've told the world is not the top man? Like, it just, it seems silly to me. If they were happy with their decision, hedging their bets by shelling out more dough for a non-compete clause just seems goofy. So this is probably, you might want to write this down. This is the only time I'm ever going to say this, I think. You might want to jot it down on the calendar. But the RFU made the right decision here. Am I still looking forward to all the drama that Eddie's going to bring, you know, being back on the world stage? Oh, yes, I certainly am. But was it a mistake? I just don't think so. Well, that sound obviously tells you it's time for our weekend reviews and we're going to start, as always, with the Champions Cup. On Friday, we started off with Leicester versus Ospreys. You know, the weirdly surprising Tigers were looking to go undefeated in the pool stages, despite the fact that they are an under 500 team in the Prem this year. Very hard to figure these guys out. Ospreys, of course, had conceded the fewest turnovers in the tournament. And despite Austin Healy opening, uh, openly criticizing every single decision by the refs, this one got really good. Uh, positioning for the knockout stages was still up in the air at almost 85 minutes with Ospreys hammering on the door again and again. Twice in that extra time, the comms explained that there would be a penalty try, and in each case, there was not. Uh, there was, however, a yellow card, and it would be in the 92nd minute that Ospreys would controversially dot one down, grabbing the extras to pull out a nail-biting 26-27 to win over Leicester. What a start. Uh, also, on Friday, we had Leon versus the Bulls. I was surprised to see the Bulls had set up the fewest malls in the competition with just nine. That doesn't seem very South African of them. So Lyon, they, they took less than five minutes to get on the board. That really set the stage for what was to come. Uh, as we began the second half, the home team was pitching a shutout. and The Bulls just looked helpless. A oh, quick side note. I will again here speculate that the Prem commentators are lousy compared to those in the URC, and this weekend was a classic example. Anyway, back to the game where it had begun to snow, and there was a great Wayne Barnes moment where you know he was starting the cadence for a scrum, and the chippy Bulls scrum half just started, started, started shouting and pestering him, explaining why everyone was doing something wrong. Wayne Barnes just kind of stopped dead, turned and looked at him and said, I don't think you've ever played in the front row, mate. It was next level. Oh, by the way, did you know he's a barista? <laughs> Anywho, uh, the weather turned to what we here call a wintry mix, which is exactly what we had where I was sitting as I watched this, a whirling mixture of rain and snow, occasionally sleet and freezing rain. It kind of felt like I was there. So, Leon, 
they look to make a statement even up big late on just a ton of hustle 31 to 7 and the full five points to the reigning challenge cup champions saturday began with harlequins versus the sharks and quins sitting on just one win we're looking for another big effort from Andre Esterhausen, who had made more meters in contact than any other player in this tournament with an incredible 60. Ooh. Side note, they mentioned it was Danny Kerr's 350th appearance for Quinns, which honestly sounds like one of the old man cracks that I typically like to make about him, but it was actually true. So he came out onto the pitch with his three kids in tow, including a little baby in a furry onesie, just super cute. It's been quite a journey for Danny, you know, especially with those first 20 games of his career being played during the War of 1812, which really made things difficult for everybody. Either way, uh, it took Sharks all of a minute and a half to get their first try, but Quinns would answer with three straight tries before 20 minutes had even gone by. It turned into a massive try fest with the missed conversion all that separated the sides at the break, as Austin Healy kept calling <laughs> Eben Etzebeth, Eben Estebeth. <sighs> Ever since that dude challenged Squidge to a boxing match, I've just had a very hard time listening to him. So mistake after mistake by the Sharks. Just not sure what was up with them in this one. Um, they were definitely their own worst enemy. They ended up getting a try bonus point, which might have serious implications, but a win they could not get. Harlequins, with an emphatic victory at the Stoop, 39-29. to 29. Gotta say, my birthday weekend was off to a swimming start, that is for sure. So Northampton versus La Rochelle was next. The Saints are hurting in this competition, coming into this round with just a single point, courtesy of a losing bonus point from their loss to 14-man Munster last weekend. Add to that, Antoine Hastoy is still the competition's top scorer in this campaign with 44 points under his belt. However, La Rochelle were already qualified for the knockout stages and were away from home, so we'd have to see. Anyway, the hosts had to spend the second half down to 14 players, and things got really tight. Kind of a fun one. La Rochelle got a yellow, and Saints quickly replied. It was a one-point contest headed into the final quarter, but, you know, as so often happens, that physical toll of being down a player for all that extended period of time, it really began to show. By the end, La Rochelle had really done a number on them, getting a good old palindromic score, 13-31. to 31. Then, of course, it was Bordeaux-Beglo versus Gloucester, both teams having been on the receiving end of serious butt-whoopings last week. Uh, my Border Beagles have been, frankly, terrible in the Heineken Cup, scoring the fewest tries with three, while having uh, having the worst lineout success rate at 74%. Last weekend, if you recall, they also notched four, count them, four yellow cards, so they'd be looking for a big turnaround at home. Well, that or they'd just throw in the towel completely. It was, you know, 50-50 for me. Bordeaux were already out of, the, out of contention. Uh, the comms began by wondering out loud if they'd even bother to show up, as I guess I just did. Uh, considering that fact, it was a great crowd on hand. That was nice. So things got messy late in the first half, with the home side getting a double yellow card, though they did hold on to a lead. By the way, I just now realized, except for one match where it was snowing, there was basically zero precipitation this weekend. What a nice change. Uh, Tui Sui, it was, finally breaking through for a Gloucester try, giving them their first lead of the day. Billy Twelltrees had a great game, really led his visiting side to an impressive all-around win, uh, win 17-26 in the end. This tournament should be called the Jekyll and Hyde Cup. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, in what looked like a great matchup on paper, it was Leinster versus Rassing, the hosts. We're looking to remain the only team to take maximum points from each round this year. Rassing just hadn't shown up this far, getting just one win, and that one was a one-pointer. And they were only ahead of Gloucester on the table by virtue of point differential. I mean, whew. 
The visitors held close and even led for a long stretch there before Leinster inevitably just reached over and pressed the button that says destroy and just ran away with it. They ended up smashing their guests 36 to 10. And this just in, Leinster are a really, really good team. Stormers versus Claremont was next up. Stormers had only one loss coming in. Of course, it was to Claremont. Uh, I admit, I've really come to like this Stormers team. They're, they're incredible as a unit, but they also have a lot of personality. I'm just loving what they're bringing to the table. Side note, this was the first and I think only game in South Africa this weekend, so it was kind of jarring, especially after I mentioned that we've gotten snow this weekend, to see people in the stands in t-shirts and sunglasses. Ooh, must be nice. So this game was all about penalty kicks in the first half, with Anthony Bello getting over the century mark in his Heineken Cup career to make it just 6-9 to nine after 45 minutes, but... From then on, ooh, it was try time, with Stormers finally remembering who they were. I mean, you blinked twice, and it was 25-9. to Amazing side note, they clearly did something, like over the PA or, I don't know, on the screens in the stadium. There must have been a message on the big scoreboard telling people, if we catch you on the Jumbotron, you better finish your beer as we keep the camera on you, because... That was exactly what happened. It was great. Note to stadiums everywhere. Definitely do that. Take a page from that book. Anyway, Claremont could see the writing on the wall. Their energy seemed to ebb away, though I had to remind myself I have seen crazier comebacks. Okay, yet another side note here. Everyone is complaining about time wasting in rugby. They bicker and argue about speeding up scrums, timing the kicks, I don't know, lighting a fuse under the feet of line-out throwers. Here's an idea. All the ridiculous non-fight fights... That's what takes forever. Like, seriously, a half dozen people grab each other, they push and pull, they show off their gum shields, and the ref has to be like, okay, guys, stop it. Oh, guys, let go. No, no, let go. You know, let's stop worrying about the scrums. Start worrying about the stupid handbags. It's legit a drag on the game right now. Quote, it can be dealt with if you let go of each other, unquote, said Christoph Ridley 142 times impotently. I mean, we need, we need to move on from this. It's it's a real pain. Um, or somebody has to hit somebody. Stormers went on to win. The score was closer than it felt while you were watching. It was 30-16 to 16 by the end. So as you will have correctly assumed, I skipped Exeter versus Cast. You know, if by some miracle the dimwit Chiefs fans stop with the racist chants and all the other crap they do, please reach out and let me know so I can go back to watching them. Anyway, final score, a whopping 40-3. Boo! Anyway, Ulster versus Sale was the final fixture for Saturday, and boy, oh boy, have Ulster looked in trouble lately. Several of the Irish podcasts I listened to implied that they would have, you know, taken some positive things and some confidence from their gut-wrenching loss just last weekend. My guess was the opposite. So, some unnerving stats on Ulster. Coming into this match, Ulster had made the fewest meters in the tournament so far, beaten the fewest defenders, made the fewest clean breaks and offloads. Oh, boy. Of course, on the other hand, for Printerland, Johnny Hill had missed more tackles than any other player in the competition, which somehow made me positively giddy. Oh, and uh, another weird one, you know, Sale, they looked completely dominant. But then you, you look up and they only have three points. It's totally bizarre the way they are sometimes. So a yellow card opened the door for the home team, their fans desperate for a win, and later on the comms practically had an aneurysm as Ulster finally grabbed a lead. Dwayne Vermeulen bashed one through to seal the deal. Somehow or other, Ulster were through to the knockouts 22-11 to 11 at the end. A bit of a shocker. So on my birthday, it was Montpellier versus London Irish, with the Exiles hoping to notch their first win of the tournament, and first ever against Montpellier, in fact. 
In round one, they lost 27 to 32 <laughs> at the G-Tech Community Stadium, which as I was reading it, oh my God, I'm so embarrassed. I, I, I just didn't quite clock it as G-Tech. And I was seriously sitting here thinking, Gtech Stadium? Gtech? Is this a Klingon stadium? Like, how do I pronounce that? Yeah, yeah, I'm really, really smart. <laughs> For Montpellier, I spoke briefly about Zach Mercer last week, and I found a great stat on him. Zach Mercer has carried the ball more than any other player in the tournament. That's 53 times. He's crossed the game line on 56.6% of the occasions he's carried. Man, oh man. In any event, this one turned into an amazing match with London Irish dominating for most of the way, getting up to a 21-point shutout before Montpellier finally found their groove. Then it was three unanswered for the hosts, tying things up in an absolutely furious, breathless ending. Both sides looking to put it away, but ending in a draw. I, I don't recall seeing that many players just collapsing with exhaustion at the end. Just incredible. And with that... The Exiles' European hopes were dashed, and rooting against them, frankly, has become hugely satisfying. Then, we had Toulouse versus Munster. For, for me, this was the matchup of the week by a lot. Uh, in fact, I did a little uh, Twitter poll about it, and you all agreed with me, which, frankly, probably poor reflection on you good folks. <laughs> Historically, uh, these teams are as evenly matched as you can possibly get, having each won four times and drawing just once. However, over the last couple of years, they played three times, and Munster hadn't won once. So it was going to be a tall order in the place they I learned this weekend. They call the Pink City. Munster couldn't buy possession in the first 20 minutes or so, and it looked like it might turn into a blowout before they finally found some momentum. And once they did, it was on. The comms were, <laughs> were back to pronouncing Cyril Bai correctly this week, which was nice. Cyril Bale. How did that even get through? Uh, anyway, this one got as close as it gets. The lead changed hands four times just in the second half. But with Ben Healy getting a controversial yellow card late, it was looking difficult for the visitors. A fair few fans had made this trip, by the way, and really made themselves known as things came down to the wire. Gotta love that. So impressive. But at the end, Toulouse were still driving, looking to deny their guests a losing bonus point, but coughing it up on the goal line. And that was that. A ferocious win. 20-16. to 16. Incroyable. So finally, to close out the pool stages of the Kineken Cup, it was Edinburgh versus Saracens, two teams seemingly headed in opposite directions, though please don't tell Craig Benson I said that. Saris were, of course, unbeaten in this competition, though they sat just behind Sharks on the table because of points differential heading into this one. I imagine this would have been an incredibly frustrating one if you were there in person. Edinburgh struck first, but then Saracens got two consecutive yellows like right on top of each other. During that time, being up two players, Edinburgh managed to score, that's right, zero points. As soon as the second yellow card expired as well, bang, three more points for Ceres. Edinburgh, they just feel a bit snake-bitten this year. So, quote, a free kick to Edinburgh turns into a penalty for Saracens, unquote, said the comms microcosmically. Uh, but then, incredibly, unbelievably, Itoje got yellow carded. Have you ever seen such a thing? And all at once, it was Pierre Skuman smashing through for a try. By the way, that was on his 18th carry in this match, more than the entire Saracens front row combined. What a game he was having. Inevitably, Edinburgh also went down to 14 players. It was Ben Earl annoyingly scoring a try with about five minutes left. Henry Pergos coughed it up deep in his own territory, and the comms were openly wondering if anyone for Edinburgh was actually aware of the score implications going forward. Fair question at that point. 
So someone eventually seemed to get the word to Pergos that their job was not finished, but the clock had already gone red and he just kicked it out. Like, what a comedy of errors. Edinburgh, they held on for a hard-fought win, but threw away their shot at a home match in the round of 16. A bit of a travesty, 20-14 to 14 at the death. It was a bad look and a silly mistake, but in the end, Edinburgh achieved more than I, had, for one, had imagined. So I'm just going to use my all-time least favorite phrase on earth. It is what it is. Okay, switching gears and going over to the Challenge Cup, we started off with Bristol Bears versus Perpignan on Friday. And, you know, as always, a little side note to start. Ellis Genge, man, what a guy. He's just clearly leveled up in like a hundred ways in the last couple of years. This team feels well and truly his. It was funny <laughs> at the beginning seeing him just sort of try to create, I guess, a facsimile of a smile for the photo op he was doing with some kids. Too good. Speaking of good, that's what the Bears have absolutely not been this year in the Prem, sitting at the very bottom of the bottom at 3-1-7, and seven, with fewer points than Bath by all that's holy. You're not, uh, you're not, you're not good. Perpignan, according to Ryle Nugent, were surprised to find themselves up 7 to nothing early on, but Harry Randall snuck his way in for a try to level things up. <laughs> Ryle Nugent was having some serious issues with pronouncing semi-rundrandra at one point, and pretty much all weekend long. I'm not sure what's up with that. Like, obviously, as you all know, I'm a big fan of his, but I don't know. This weekend, he had the yips. Anyway, Thacker was magical as always. Suddenly, there seemed to be some home momentum. Momentum? Can we call it momentum? After getting to 33, Bristol seemed like, yeah, you know what? We're good. And they let their guests work on making it respectable. 33 to 19 was the bonus point win for the Bears. AJ getting honorable mention by the comms at the end. A good showing by him and them. Toulon versus Zebre. This one looked to be a bit of a snooze, I reckoned, but, you know, to be fair, Toulon were off their pace a bit. It was only 14-0 after 70 minutes. The comms for this one, all French for the replay I watched. Uh, and because of that, multiple times I got to hear, ooh la la's throughout this game. You know, hard to beat that. Zebre finally got a try in the dying moments and would sadly lose yet another match, this time 14-5. Cheslin Kolbe almost had an absolute blinder right at the end, but he would knock it on to seal the deal. Glasgow versus Bath was also on Friday. Glasgow came in on a seven-game winning streak to face a team that, well, isn't very good. Uh, leading up to this one, Richie Gray was quoted as saying, quote, it's going to be a massive game. We can't wait to get back home again. The last home match against the Stormers was probably the best atmosphere I've experienced at Scotson in a long time. So hopefully we can give the supporters a performance they can get behind. It's a big match in terms of uh, trying to secure a home knockout spot and the noise they can make can make all the difference, unquote. The place indeed was rocking, though the franchise have, of course, been rocked by the Rufus McLean travesty. You know, I already mentioned Squidge once, but as he pointed out, it's indicative of, of a broader issue when people use deflecting and apologetic language to report on these events. So in this case, they described... This case of domestic abuse, to which he's pled guilty, and the arrest of Kurtley Beale for what was termed, quote, an attack, unquote. They said the players had, quote, landed themselves in hot water, unquote. Yeah, like, like, oh, too bad. So sad. They landed in hot water. What rotten luck. Uh, I'm going to say it. Absolute bullshit. So even Bath have figured out that if that you simply can't let Cancellieri run amok, but they concentrated on him so much Presto, a thing of beauty, was Matt Fagerson's try to open their account. And with, you know, the clouds of breath wreathing every scrum, Glasgow began to assert the dominance they've had running on six weeks or so. 
Tied at 19 at the 79th minute, Glasgow got a penalty for Duncan Weir, but he just sent it wide right. It was a draw in Glasgow, and the drama continued. So Saturday brought us Bayonne versus Scarlets. All the scoring in the first half was by Scarlets. Bayonne just did not look good. Despite being at home, they wouldn't get on the board until there was just a quarter hour to go. Not a bad performance by Scarlets. I enjoyed it. Uh, Ken Owens looked particularly on form to me. The visitors won easily, 7-20. to 20. Benetton versus Stade Francais was our next offering. And once again, Benetton looked very strong at home. They took a small lead into halftime. And I just kind of wondered out loud to nobody in particular which Stade Francais team would emerge from the lockers. Got to say, I'm very impressed with the resilience Benetton have been showing of late. They've really found a new level this year. Uh, under 10 minutes remaining, the home team were up three points in a serious back and forth. And in desperation, Stad, they just kept giving away penalties. They found themselves down to 13 players as the clock kicked, uh, ticked towards the 80. 35 to 32 was your final score and another good showing in Treviso. So Newcastle versus Connacht was ne- next on the slate. Incredibly, my boys from Galway were looking to secure the top spot in the Challenge Cup. Can you believe that? Uh, you know, great side stat heading into this one. Both Josh Murray and uh, Niall Murray, uh, Josh Murphy, I should say, and Niall Murray made three lineout steals each in round three. No player has made more in a single match so far this season. However, somehow Newcastle came out hot. They were up a couple of tries after only a quarter hour. And they mentioned the elephant in the room, the absence of Bundy Aki, who's been selected for Six Nations and his country, but can't get selected for his own team. Uh, my guess is Andy Friend knows that he's leaving and so has no real reason to pull any punches. And he's trying to send one of those, you know, I don't think you're working hard enough type messages. I have no actual intel about that. I just have that feeling from, you know, watching sports in general for many, many years. For a while, it looked like a butt kicking, but at the three quarter hour mark, uh, three quarter mark, it was actually within reach 28 to 21 in desperation time. Whew, once again, Mac Hansen made a defender look absolutely ridiculous. You know, a lot of the time it's like he's on grass and you're on ice. So funny. But then it was Newcastle again. I mean, where did this come from from them? But in the end, my boys would cough it up to the enigmatic Falcons, 35 to 21. Definitely a disappointing ending for that one. What's up with the Falcons? That was so weird. So Breve versus Cardiff was the last Saturday game. While Cardiff have shown some sparks this year, they had none of that in the first half, trailing 17 to three as they sort of shuffled their way to the locker room. Breve have qualification on their minds, needing this home win to keep their journey alive. But Cardiff came back out with some real energy. The Breve faithful didn't exactly turn out in droves for this match. Uh, but those who were there made themselves known for sure. The home team got back into their groove and pulled out a good win at home, vanquishing the former Blues, punching their ticket for the round of 16 in the Challenge Cup, 37-24. to 24. And then there were two birthday battles, Dragons versus Lions first up. What a weird start to the day. The match was moved from Rodney Parade to their, I, I'm pretty sure they said, training facility, which bore a name I will not even try to pronounce. You're welcome. Um, how the big pitch can be frozen, but the smaller one nearby is fine. I definitely don't get, they didn't go into it. Um, but you know, I, I guess it's good to have a little mystery, right? In any event, uh, dragons looked overmatched most, most of the way, but did claw their way back getting to 22 to 30 just before the final 10 minutes. They'd add a penalty after that, but that was as far as it went. Dragons dropping another painful one at home or at their home away from home, 25 to 30 and ending the weekend. It was cheetahs versus Poe. 
I decided I was really rooting for the cheetahs in this one. You know, didn't expect much in terms of beautiful rugby, but I was keen to see the homeless hosts finish their pool stage with a strong showing. As it turned out, we definitely ended with the stinker of the week. I'm still pleased with the outcome, but woo, the final result was three penalty kicks to two. Cheetahs making a long-distance kick right at the conclusion to end Poe's campaign and punch their own ticket somehow for the round of 16. As I said, not pretty rugby, but I love that they made it through. Good stuff. Well, by that music, you will of course... Now it's time for this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award. This week, the award goes to Kobus Reinach. Mr. Reinach, your incredible work off the bench lit the spark that led to your team's incredible 21-point comeback. Your try to tie the score late ended the hopes of the London Irish this year. You got turnovers, you made intercepts, your passing was pinpoint, as was your wide-ranging kicking game. Somehow, for a player of your quality, we rarely hear your name, but this week, that needed to change. Kobus Reinach, described by Andy Good as, quote, incredibly annoying, unquote. Congratulations to you, sir, for you are this week's Diamond in the Ruck. Well done. So, updates and previews. That's right. Coming up next weekend, it's the weirdest of weeks when all three of our competitions get back to business as usual, but generally leave all the top players off of their rosters, either just for rest or for Six Nations prep. However, it's worth quickly looking at what's coming at the end of March when we get back to the EPCR. In the Heineken Cup, the round of 16 will include Saracens at the Stone X to take on an impressive Ospreys team. Sharks versus Munster. Stormers welcoming Harlequins to Cape Town. Toulouse hosting the Bulls. La Rochelle versus Gloucester. Leicester versus Brainfarta. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, Edinburgh. Uh, Exeter. <laughs> get another excruciating game in front of their moron home crowd to face Montpellier. And finally, it'll be Leinster back home to perform an autopsy on the rotting corpse of Ulster. In the Challenge Cup, our final 16 will be Toulon, home for the Nomadic Cheetahs, Scarlet's hosting Breve, Benetton versus Connacht, Glasgow versus Dragons, Stade Francais versus Lyon, the Lions versus Racing 92, Bristol Bears versus Claremont, and finally, Cardiff versus Sale. How did that happen? So, in our, you know, quote-unquote normal action in the top 14 is round 16. We'll have six Saturday fixtures and one on Sunday. It'll be Lyon versus Clermont, Cast versus Bordeaux-Begle, Bayonne versus Brive, Perpignan versus Stade Francais, Toulon versus Poe, Racing 92 versus La Rochelle. Ooh, that's a nice one. And then finally, another cracker, Toulouse hosting Montpellier. The top 14 really loves to stack their own deck and just save the best ones for last, right? Anyway, in the Prem... Somehow, it's also round 16. A little confused by that. Uh, but we'll have Sale hosting Bath on Friday, Leicester versus Northampton, Sale versus Bristol, and Exeter versus Gloucester on Saturday. Then it's London Irish back at home for Harlequins on Sunday. In the URC, it's round 13. It'll feature two Friday clashes, Scarlets versus Bulls and Ulster versus the Stormers. Oh, my word. This could continue to be a very tough patch for Ulster. Oh, my gosh. I mean... Granted, most of the players for Ireland are coming from Leinster, but some of them are coming from Ulster. So they'll be out with the they'll be out of a bunch of players. While meanwhile, Stormers don't have to leave anybody at home. They are all set. Anyway, 
uh, Saturday will bring us Benetton versus Munster, Dragons versus Glasgow, Leinster versus Cardiff, Edinburgh versus Sharks, Connacht versus the Lions, while on Sunday, in very much opposite style to the top 14, we'll have Zebre hosting Ospreys. After that, you know, y'all get ready. The first couple rounds of Six Nations. I, for one, am psyched. Well, my friends, that does it for another week. And it brought a conclusion to the pool stages in both European competitions. Maybe now that we're on to the knockout stages, people can stop complaining about the format? Maybe? Please? I I I get it. I get it. I just find it hard to complain about so many brilliant games on the docket each week. And, you know, these competitions are so unlike anything here in the U.S. I mean, maybe in five or six years, I'll be so jaded that I, too, spend my time complaining. But for now, and I think this is a phrase I've used before, I'm still enjoying just letting it all wash over me so good. So as always, thanks again for coming along. To all of you across the globe, cheers. Talk to you soon. And of course, be well. <laughs>